Welcome back to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. I'm your host, Ben Shaw. Before we get started with this week's episode, I want to follow up on the virtual get-together that I mentioned a few episodes ago. I'm going to schedule an hour Zoom call at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, the evening of Thursday, August 6th. I know it's a long way out, but I wanted to give people enough notice. And you can email me at outthegatesailing at gmail.com if you're interested in attending. And I'll send you a link for the meeting. As the date nears, I think I'll also post the details on outthegatesailing.com and on Instagram at outthegatesailing. It'll simply be a time for listeners of the podcast to meet each other and meet me, and perhaps some of our past guests will join as well. We can all chat and share sailing stories from San Francisco Bay or further afield. I have absolutely no idea how many people will attend. Could be just me twiddling my thumbs or could be a crowd, but I thought I'd throw the idea out there and see what happens. Again, email me at outthegatesailing at gmail.com, and I'll send you a link to join the Get together on August 6th. My guest this week is John Arndt, the publisher of Latitude 38. He's been at the West Coast Sailing Magazine since 1987 when he joined as an ad man. He purchased Latitude 38 from founder Richard Spindler in 2016 and has been keeping it going strong even through the pandemic. John's also the founder of Summer Sailstice, a sailing event that encourages all kinds of sailors all over the world to get out on the water right around the summer solstice. This year's Summer Sailstice event just happened on June 20th. It was actually the 20th anniversary of the event, and it happened on the 20th of June on 2020. Kind of cool. I know John was out sailing that Saturday, as were many others, including myself, and I'd hoped to get this episode out before that event, but I was busy working on my own boat trying to get it ready to go sailing that weekend. John and his team at Latitude 38 have been incredibly supportive of this podcast, so I have to thank them for all they've done. And with that, let's jump into the interview with John. John, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's really a pleasure. I, I ask all my guests just to introduce themselves and, and tell me where they are. Give me a quick introduction of yourself. Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm John Arndt, and uh, uh, I am sheltered at home in San Anselmo and, you know, 20 minutes from my boat at the Corinthian Yacht Club. Uh, sadly, I haven't been sailing since the Corinthian midwinters in February, but um Otherwise, um, I yeah, I am home and working working from here, and and been at Latitude Thirty Eight for since nineteen eighty seven, believe it or not. So wow, and you are the publisher of Latitude Thirty Eight. That's correct? correct. Yep. So I can't imagine that there is anybody listening to this podcast who is not familiar with Latitude Thirty Eight. Although I have to say, we do now have listeners all over the country and all over the world. So for those who aren't familiar with it, explain what Latitude 38 is. Latitude 38 is a, is a West Coast regional sailing magazine founded in 
1977 by uh, Richard Spindler, Kathy McCarthy, and really to focus on Bay Area sailing, but very quickly uh, Richard took it to become a sort of a West Coast uh, sailing Bible, uh, and he explored Mexico a lot, and it's really become, uh, you know, over the 40 plus years of publishing, uh, as I say, West Coast Sailing Bible, and, and as we say, we cover the world of sailing through the eyes of the West Coast sailor. So we focus on sailing everywhere, though, through West Coast Sailors Adventures, um, and our roots are here in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, um, but our distribution and readership uh, reaches throughout California as our primary market, and then um, into Mexico, the Pacific, and, and a lot of expat Californians who have uh, moved elsewhere but want to stay in touch with their California sailing community. And, and I guess uh, detail, we're a monthly print magazine, um, a traditional print magazine, but we've had a web presence, uh, latitude38.com, that started up in 2000. So we've been 20 years on the web as well and have a number of events and other activities that we uh, promote and participate in. And when I moved out here seven years ago now, I found it was the it was the go-to resource for really learning about sailing. And I have to say thank you to you and others on the staff, because as I, a year ago, started about thinking, getting this podcast off the ground, everybody there was so supportive and amazingly helpful in just in terms of giving advice and, and thoughts and, and support. So it's really been amazing yeah. to get to know you and your staff. Yeah, no, it's been great. Well, you've done a great job with it, and it's fun to just, you know, stroll into a boatyard in Berkeley and then Berkeley Marine Center and see that you're <laughs> putting together your uh, Hallberg Rossi 35, you know? And like, <laughs> That's right. We ran into each other. We that ran into each other, just yeah. Just before the lockdown, right? It, just before the lockdown, yes. I think yeah. it was. And so, yes. And you were all already suited up and ready for COVID <laughs> in your Tyvek suit, as I recall. That's right. I should have <laughs> just kept that on. That's yeah. Great from bottom painting to a virus protection yeah exactly i think uh, yeah <laughs> boatyard workers are well have always had the suits to be prepared for a pandemic <laughs> that's right so let's go back and talk about how you got into sailing i know you're an east coaster originally and um what was your first boat I grew up in a sailing family, though, as a very um, recreational sailing family. My grandparents sailed, but small boats. I, I say, we, you know, I, I was fortunate we had a summer place to go to in Maine Cottage. That was my grandparents' uh, place, and that, and I grew up in the Boston area, and so it was about three hours away. And of course, um, you know, this was a New England winters. We would we would sail from the end of June to Labor Day, uh, mm -hmm. so very short season. But, um, a, you know, really a fabulous place to learn to sail. And, uh, you know, we had small boats. You know, my, our first boat, my family's first boat was a Sea Snark, which was one of these $120 or uh, styrofoam. Oh, the styrofoam boats. Yes. I, yeah. I yeah. sailed one of those on a lake in New Hampshire. I know them well. Yeah, yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, Lake Winnipesaukee, we sailed. In fact, I have a picture of myself sailing it in Lake Winnipesaukee, um, the Sea Snark. And then uh, then we, you know, I, I got a little older uh, with my brother and I. We had a turnabout, and my grandfather had the big boat in the family, which was a Rhodes 19. And um, so we were very much just a very casual recreational summer sailing family. But at some point, we did 
you know, kids racing. There really wasn't junior programs and the kind of things that go on now. You know, I sailed all summer long weekends and uh, we would go to Maine most weekends and got a lot of sailing in that time. And then did you sail in college? Yeah, no, I, I basically early on there, I, in high school, I started sailing. I had one of my best friends in Maine. His father had a bigger boat and I would crew for him on a, on a 38 foot boat. I went to the University of Vermont, which has, you know, a really long sailing season from you know, July 25th to July 30th. No, um, but no, I, I would, uh, I would, uh, University of Vermont, I actually, the, they actually did have a sailing team, although it was a club at the time. Um, I used to race with a professor. This is on Lake Champlain in Vermont, up, um, near Burlington. And I became president of the sailing club, which really meant, you know, I organized buying the beer and we jump in a van and we drive down to Yale or Coast Guard or, or University of Maine uh, or MIT and race uh, other colleges on weekends. And, and then um, my first three summers of college, I actually taught sailing in the summers too. I was a sailing instructor on a, at a club on the Maine coast, Christmas Cove, Maine. When did you end up coming out to the West Coast in San Francisco? How, what brought you out here? You know, in college, well, uh, one, you know, one thing I did is in a year, I did take a year off in college where this, you know, best sailing buddy, my brother and I took a year off and took a boat from Maine to Venezuela and back. So that was a big. Wow. Big, what boat was that? It, you know, very much like your boat. It was a Camper and Nicholson 35. You know, my friend and my brother and I were looking at buying like a 26 foot Thunderbird or something like that to sail to the Bahamas for the winter. We were going to take a winter off from college. And as it turned out, I had an uncle who had recently bought a boat, but got transferred overseas and was going to put this boat in storage for a couple of years. And he offered to charter it to us for the winter. And so we did that. And we went, we sailed from me, you know, took a year off my, my, what would have been my junior year and my friend's junior year. And my brother um, took off his, what would have been his freshman year of college. So we were uh, 18, 19 and 20 and, and sailed from Maine to, you know, down the East coast, all throughout the Caribbean islands, Venezuela and back North to Maine again, um, wow. 1976, 77. What a fantastic adventure. Yeah, it was, you know, that was, uh, that was definitely, uh, that's sort of one of those things that really got me involved. And, you know, we navigated the whole thing with a plastic Davis sextant, you know, there was no electronic navigation and all of that. And had you done any offshore sailing before then? I had done uh, coastal Maine racing and I had also done the Bermuda race with my uncle on his boat, the Marion uh, Bermuda race. Wait a minute. Yeah. Maybe it was the next summer we did the Bermuda race, but, uh, but, you know, I'd done some coastal Maine racing, but not any real offshore racing. I mean, we, we did the uh, North Carolina uh, Wrightsville beach to St. Thomas was our offshore passage. And that mm -hmm. was a big one, stormy one. And that was my first real trial. And, and um, I mean, and you got to get through the Gulf stream there and, and, yeah. and down and that can be a rough, a rough go of you're on the, you have the wind on the nose most of the way down. Yeah, we were going offshore, leaving Riceville Beach, we had quite a storm the first three days, basically, because you, you leave between the fall season and, and after hurricane season and before winter storms, hopefully there's a window in there. So we left November 1st, which is like when insurance kicks in, too, and the insurance companies say, right. okay, you can go. And uh, so that's when we left, and we did have a couple, three really, really rough days kicking off. And, and then it gets more and more pleasant as you bear off get a little bit of reach in and it gets warm and and uh, pleasant sailing we had a great trip after those first rough days 
Were there any other memorable moments from that trip that really stand out? Of course, landfall at, with our first offshore passage navigating with a sextant, you know, seeing the islands in St. Thomas about the time and where they were supposed to be was pretty terrific. Actually, one of the great funny things was we did a passage from the Virgin Islands over to uh, St. Martin. We didn't have any running lights, our battery, our electricity hasn't working, but there were so few boats then we thought, oh, go for it. And as it happened, we had a, a port tack incident with a another sailboat going across Anagata Passage there. We spotted them with their running lights, thankfully, and shine lights in our sails. Had a nice radio chat with them in the night and both ended up in Saba in the morning uh, the next day and uh, became lifelong friends with that boat. Uh, so that was a great kind of evening. And I mean, it was a whole winter, so there were lots of lots of great adventures. Um, we, you know, we had quite a storm uh, that we had going into uh in the bahamas in the abacos you know we met up with a russian freighter in in venezuela and spent the night with a so it was all, all kinds of like you know we could fill a lot of time telling stories of that whole trip but it <laughs> was uh, it was a spectacular uh, winter off for sure and it sounds like it really cemented your passion for for sailing and cruising yeah i just really got to appreciate of course sailing travel um and what sailing could bring you and the the freedom and also the confidence to just go out and explore and do adventures and and also of course great friendships and, and yeah i mean really literally one of the friends i met there in antigua lives here in northern california now and we're still good friends 40 years later or whatever that has been wow. is, yeah um, it, it's amazing and our kids have grown up together um so it really opened a world to me that i didn't really understand and i, I and i went down and spent another you know winter and in the caribbean or another year off later on cruising the caribbean and over the mediterranean meeting people and, and really that was the uh, seed that sort of helped create a lot of sailing ventures and probably why i'm at latitude 38 Still yeah to this day and you got the boat back to your uncle in one piece we did we did uh, we you know we we definitely but you know never well i would well i was gonna say did we have a chance we have one scary moment where we were, we were in a rage in the abacos where we were trying to get into a pass and it was we, we had a pretty hairy little moment but we never you know got around fine and got secured and otherwise um I would say, yeah, it all, it all really went pretty smoothly. I mean, it was a relatively good, the boat was in great shape. You know, we took care of it. We were pretty darn cautious being young guys with our first major voyage. We were pretty nervous and taking care of it. Yeah. Otherwise it was some stormy weather reefs, you know, anchoring, but, but nothing that really got threatening um, and felt our lives were in jeopardy. Yeah. It's, Say one close incident in the Ab Abacos was a little hairy. <laughs> <laughs> There's always one. There's always one. <laughs> yeah. So back to the question of um, how you got out here to the West Coast. I'm glad right. we didn't skip over that the, the Caribbean trip. But um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, um, I a, a college friend of mine. I had um, been working in Maine and and literally thought I was going to live in Maine my whole life. That's where I loved. Uh, being in Maine, I graduated UVM with an engineering degree, was working at Fairchild Semiconductor. Um, they had a big layoff, and so I ended up uh, going to the Caribbean for and then doing a whole other year of traveling through the Mediterranean and working on boats and all of that. Um, but when I got back, uh, my uh, college buddy had a room 
open up and, and said, you know, before you go back to Maine, you ought to try San Francisco just for a little while. And uh, so I thought, all right, well, I'll try moving out to San Francisco before I settle down in Maine and landed here and, and uh, without a job, I basically drove across country um, and thought I'd check it out here uh, and, and got a night job doing uh, sales, telemarketing. And, you know, really within a couple of weeks, uh, actually, I was selling opera tickets. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, I, and one of the guys I called was Grant Settlemeyer from the St. Francis Yacht Club and became a Commodore and got talking on the phone with him. And he said, oh, yeah, you sail. Sure enough. And soon I was racing Wednesday night racing on the Canard fleet. On uh-huh. the front, and, uh, and, you know, got plugged into the sailing community because that uh, was one of the main things I loved to do and wanted to do and could, and could do. And so I, you know, started racing with all kinds of different people and and then my roommate ended up buying a j29 with a partner so i skippered that for a number of years do you remember your reaction to sailing on san francisco bay and what you found uh different than the east coast sailing you've done yeah a couple of things i mean yeah i mean you know what i mean one of the amazing things about the west coast versus the east coast I mean, the east coast i still love and uh, you know i did i was not somebody who fled the east coast i love it back there but it's so dramatic out here the wind it, you know the drama the, the east coast i sort of see as more pastoral calm generally right? you know here it's 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 a real challenging environment and really engaging and beautiful in the scenery and the drama and then you know racing on the bay is is um very complicated very interesting game uh because there's the you know obviously the california or the bay area wins but also the currents and um you know it's very competitive and that was really fun i did a lot of racing for a while and 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 also of course the other thing is you can sail 12 months a year <laughs> yeah and uh you know, I, I do have an early memory of racing on a J35 in midwinters on a Saturday, getting finished with midwinters and loading up the car and driving straight to the mountains and going skiing on Sunday and going, wow, two things I love to do <laughs> Saturday, Sunday, pretty awesome. And, and that's different from New England. <laughs> yes. It's seasonal New England. You get your skiing in when you can't sail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's a different thing. And it's, so it's, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's different. You know, in New England, I got to say in the summer and having the islands and the destinations that you have up there, something we don't really have here uh, so much. So that's, a, you know, New England's terrific for that. But the Bay Area is just a stunning place to sail and steady winds. I mean, that's, it's really spectacular. When did you move out here? Uh, 1984. So it was three years before you got connected with Latitude 38 and Richard Spindler. How did you, what, how did that connection happen? You know, in an old school way, um, uh, literally they were looking for an ad rep. They were, they, uh, uh, and I was working selling printing. I was doing sales uh, in the printing business. And um, a friend of mine said, hey, I saw an ad in Adweek told me about it and I, I interviewed and it was, you know, I knew Latitude 38, of course, I've been sailing since arrival on San Francisco Bay and uh, loved the magazine and interviewed and was fortunate enough to get a job. And, and to me, I, you know, I guess the other thing, you know, I was selling printing, I was sailing, but I really was after uh, all this time 
really hoping I'd find something to do in the um, sailing business, but you know, that I really was looking for a career. I did try being a yacht broker for a short while with a, with a friend, but never really got off the ground with that. I had been a, a rep for um, Dorlon Fowl Weather Gear and for Canterbury Rugby Gear, which Canterbury of New Zealand was selling um, team gear to the um, sailing market. So I was calling on um, you know, boutique sailing business and selling team gear. So I, I'd been toying around, but really hadn't found a job that was making me a living at that point in the sailing business. So Latitude 38, when you joined, had been, had been going for about a decade. Yeah. Uh, Richard and his wife had started it. Um, talk about the genesis there of the magazine. Richard, um, you know, he had been doing yacht sales and other things, but he um, he really did the classic entrepreneurial story. He and his wife, they were living on a boat in Sausalito, felt the need was there or the opportunity was there for a magazine. He started writing and it was, uh, um, you know, no cash down kind of thing. They actually rented typesetting or IBM Selectric typewriters from a, a paper in the East Bay called, what was it called? The Montclarian, I think it was. And, you know, he would go out and take pictures and talk to people uh, during the day. And then they'd spend all night typesetting and really um, up from the bootstrap story of, of, of gutting it out and building a publication and was very successful very quickly. I mean, he really, he had a a real knack and Kathy was um, really terrific in the sales side of things and the people uh, hiring and they really, um, just did a miraculous job, and he was a great entertaining writer, had some great skills and perspective, and so I think it really became just a, a, a core sort of foundation of the Bay Area sailing community and, and very quickly expanded beyond the Bay Area as he spent more time in Mexico. And of course, uh, the other, I guess, interesting thing is uh, started in 77, 1979 was the peak of really the U.S. sailing market. It was a booming time in California. You know, Costa Mesa was building boats like crazy. Santa Cruz was building boats. Things were flourishing in the sailing market. And so it was a really terrific time. Merlin was launched in April 1977. So Bill Lee and that whole Santa Cruz ultralight culture was being created so it was it was really a fortuitous time and of course san francisco bay is a beautiful foundation as a as a location um to build to build a magazine too it really was spectacular and how big was the staff when you joined in 87 87 it was about i think probably 12 people and that might have been around its largest 12 13 of course you know things have changed a lot since then i mean it was very much old school publishing uh, stat cameras, waxing machines, line tape. We were building flats and typesetting everything and literally building ads on flats. And, and I was driving proofs around. This was even before FedEx and fax machines. So it was, uh, you know, I do remember, uh, you know, we were going to press the next day and we had to get a proof to a customer in the East Bay. And I would get in my car at eight o'clock or nine o'clock at night and drive with a proof in a in an envelope that I would slide under a customer's door at 10 o'clock at night so that they could look at it and call us in the morning if there were any mistakes or any changes that need to be made in an ad. 
you know, it was very labor intensive. I, I mean, it still feels pretty labor intensive, but of course, uh, <laughs> I'm sure. uh, it, you know, computers have made things somewhat easier. Although, of course, now we're managing multiple media channels with electronic latitude, Facebook and all the other things. So just much more is expected. Yeah, exactly. You know, parts of it have gotten easier and then parts of it have gotten more complicated, but but it was it was um, it was a great group of people. You know, Rob Moore, John Reese, Shimon Van Collier is a great group of writers. Uh, John Reese, who's still um, now editing our changes in latitude section now, so he's freelancing for us. Really, a great team of people and creative group. And Richard and Kathy really put together um, you know a great institution at that time. Talk a little bit about the publication. Today, I mean, obviously, you were saying things have changed, um, and right now, things <laughs> obviously changed a lot with yeah. the pandemic and everybody working remotely. You guys are still cranking out issues, which we're all thankful for. For those of us who can't be out on the water, can at least be reading about it. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Obviously, um, two things, big things changing in the world, and one is publishing in the media. And, and the other is the sailing market. Um, sailing, uh, as most people know, is just, it's diminished uh, because people's free time is, has vanished into whatever, Facebook and Google and, mm -hmm. and a myriad of other things that pull us away. I mean, I think obviously the expense of living in the Bay Area, it's more challenging to have a relaxing weekend on the boat at the marina with your family. The marketplace is different and the, and the number of businesses that are in the marine market has diminished over since, I mean, really since the 70s and 80s. I mean, there's a lot of transition in sailing uh, and how it's practiced and who, who's participating. And then, of course, publishing is, is different because we, as I say, we're, we have Facebook and we've got, um, you know, our electronic latitude three time a week newsletter, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We've added events. You know, when I, when I started at the magazine, it was one magazine a month. We had two crew parties, one in the spring, one in the fall, and that was kind of our focus. As the world has gotten more splintered, we've started the Baja ha, ha Ha. Richard started the Baja ha, ha Ha, and then the Pacific Puddle Jump, then the Delta Duda, then I started Summer Salestis, um, and then we added the newsletter. I mean, we're just managing so many more things with a smaller crew. And then, of course, how people spend their time and how people consume media of course, adding podcasts <laughs> to their repertoire of, of where they consume news or entertainment. And, and uh, so it's really changed the way people um, sort of digest things. But I think what's interesting now in the time of pandemic, we have had a lot of people really, you know, asking us concern, even really for Latitude's health, which um, fair enough. There's a lot of businesses very challenged today, big to small. It's accelerated a lot of challenges. But I think people really see Latitude as a very core component uh, to the sailing community. And we really uh, are big believers in sailing and, and big advocates and love sailing, which is why we're in it. And I think Latitude 38 has a really important role. And I do feel like as much as the digital world has obviously transformed how we live without sort of a more tangible product it, it all becomes out in the cloud and the ether and is less you know less tangible and, and a little harder to connect despite all these connectivity tools we have 
like Zoom. Yeah, like <laughs> Zoom, where we're, how we're recording this. Uh, yeah, exactly. Which is great. Since you mentioned connecting, the, I want to touch on a couple of the events that you, you pointed out there. But since you mentioned connecting, one of the, I think, fabulous things that Latitude 38 does are the crew parties in the spring and fall. Tell people who, who haven't been to one what they are and what they're for. They've been around since the early 80s or maybe late 70s. Um, and, and, and again, the good old days, I mean, to find crew and to meet crew was, was harder. You didn't have all the digital tools you have today like Facebook or, or other ways. But so we would run um, a crew list. People would actually send in $5, submit their name, and we'd run their name and phone number in Latitude 38 so that they could connect with other sailors. And we'd print that out and then you could call people and say, do you want to go sailing? But of course, um, then as now, you, you before you're in the middle of the bay or the middle of the ocean with a complete stranger, it's always nice to meet face to face. And that's, I think, still true today. And yeah. so we had a spring crew party, which was more aimed at connecting people who wanted to sail on the bay or maybe race. And then a fall crew party, which was a little bit more targeted towards cruising to Mexico or to taking off on a long distance cruise, but both parties serve the same function. And that is to help introduce people who own boats with people who'd like to go sailing. You know, a lot of times that may be a racer that's looking for a high end crew, or that may be just somebody who wants to go day sailing that would like to introduce, you know, neophytes to their first time sail. So it was a very eclectic crowd um, at either party, but, but obviously, boat owners and people that wanting to sail that want to meet and get to know each other a little bit before they're out on the bay or out in the ocean together. That's great. And, I, and I've always found it a very welcoming crowd. I think there are a lot of people who would love to get out on the water, but don't really know how maybe expensive classes are out of reach for them, but they don't realize that there are a lot of people who would be willing to say, Hey, come aboard and teach them and help them learn, get out there. Of course, one of the great challenges for sailing, I mean, there's that public perception uh, that it's, you know, rich yachtsmen um, and, you know, they exist, but there's rich baseball players too. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, there are rich yachtsmen, but, but again, it's a wonderful community. And, and I think wherever you are in that spectrum, I mean, sailors love sailing and they love introducing sailing to other people. And I think if you, don't know how to sail and, and look out there in the bay longingly as you're sitting on traffic on a bridge in the days when there was traffic, was traffic. <laughs> you know, which has been missing. You know, I, I don't necessarily miss that. But anyway, when you look out on the bay and think, wow, I'd love to get there. It is a little mysterious if you're not a sailor, um, how to make that connection. And that's of course, one of the roles, the crew parties and, uh, you know, latitude is always one to play like yourself moving to the Bay area We've always said, you know, people say, oh, you know, they tell a friend or meet somebody who's a sailor and say, oh, I'd love to go sailing. People say, well, you ought to read Latitude 38. That'll help you get to know what goes on in the area. Um, of course, there are sailing schools. There's lots of open houses at yacht clubs and other things. There's beer can racing. There are access points. But if you don't have someone to talk to to sort of describe that to you, a lot of our talking as sailors and as a community is, you know, to the choir, so to speak. And, yeah. and non-sailors don't necessarily discover those pathways that easily. So one of the other events you mentioned is an event that you actually founded. 
Summer Salestis. Tell us about Summer Salestis and, and what it is and how it got started. 20 years ago, this will be the 20th anniversary, which is amazing uh, that I've been doing this that long. Um, but it was, uh, and it'll actually be on June 20th, which will be the actual solstice. And um, so the 20th anniversary of uh, Summer Salestis, a play on the word solstice, has always been celebrated on the weekend closest to the solstice. And um, so it'll be June 20, 2020, 20th anniversary. And the idea is simply um, to create a celebration of sailing. And one thing, after working at Latitude all these years and watching participation decline, I looked at sailing and see a lot of our um, effort to get people into sailing is often either a cruising rally or a racing. But we need really something to help showcase all of sailing. Like, and, and if you sail like with my grandfather on the Rhodes 19, that's not a news story. It's not something the public is ever going to discover. And I thought there'd be a great way to create an event where all sailors get to help showcase what they like to do, how they like to sail, wherever they are in the world, and unite the community of sailors in a shared celebration of sailing, even though we're spread across the planet. Coincidentally, this year, it feels like it's ideally suited to the pandemic because it's sort of always had this... Um, sort of component of being something we all do together, share together, um, but we also do it in our own individual way, no matter where we are in the world. And, and basically, if you're going to participate, you go to the website, summersailsis.com, and you put down your name and say, I'm going to go sailing on the Chesapeake or the Greece or Thailand or San Francisco Bay. It could be a race, it could be a cruise, it could be an afternoon sail with your family, a raft up. It's just a way to get us all to go sailing together. So you and your family, you have a Ranger 33, is that correct? That is correct. And, and it's, if I'm not mistaken, also named Summer Salestis. That's correct, yeah. No, that's, uh, we bought it about 16, 17 years ago. So just a couple of years after I started Summer Salestis. Um, and when, when I started Summer Salestis, I was a partner in a Ranger 33 um, and loved the boat and Gary Mole design. Um, well, a great California classic, um, a really terrific sailing boat, and we've had it, and, and I had joined the Corinthian Yacht Club, put my name down on the waiting list for a slip, and they called and said, you've got a slip? And I said, geez, I guess i got to buy a boat. <laughs> um, <laughs> like so, putting the cart before the horse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it was, it was perfect, though, because uh, my kids were, uh, I don't know, they were six and nine or, or five and eight, something like that. And it was a great time to buy a boat and be in a yacht club. And, you know, it's a great boat for a family of four. And we did, um, you know, cruising up the Delta and, and have done a lot of beer can recreational sailing very happy uh, afternoon evening sailors just to do family sailing in the bay and um, it's a terrific boat and of course to promote summer sales this has been a great platform to just showcase what i think of as sort of a regular everyday kind of casual boat to go um, enjoy the bay and enjoy sailing now since you've been sailing on San Francisco Bay since the early 80s. Tell us about some of your favorite places. I know this is an unfair question because you've, there's so many different ways to sail on San Francisco Bay, but what are some of either your favorite or most memorable sails on the bay? Well, yeah, I mean, I, um, golly, so many things. Yeah, I mean, I, I am somebody who really just loves to go out for an afternoon sail. I mean, my wife and I can go down to the boat and do a one hour loop around Angel Island and it's, 
it's fabulous. You know, it's just great. But, you know, I did a lot of racing in the 80s and race big boat series and, you know, a lot of competitive sailing as skipper to J29 for a number of years, one design racing. That was fantastic. And the bay is just a terrific playground or, or chessboard, I should say, really, to hone and sharpen your racing skills. Uh, and of course, there's a lot of good sailors in the bay. So it's really, that's a ton of fun. Also, of course, you know, with reliable winds, it's a great place for a day sail and to go over for us to sail across the bay and tie up it, you know, the St. Francis Yacht Club with reciprocal privileges and walk up into the city or go down to the estuary and go to Jack London Square and go to the farmer's market and spend a night there is terrific. And we, with the kids for, I don't know, five, six, seven years, did a one week cruise up to the Delta, found the Delta just spectacular to go get up there and swim in fresh water, warm water, explore the Delta, relax up there. And it's, it's really like, you know, I still feel we've run the Delta Duda. This is the 12th year coming up. I still feel like it's one of the great underutilized, unexplored resources that most Bay Area sailors, to my knowledge and my sense of it, is don't haven't really taken advantage of. And so the Delta is something that we always loved. I haven't done it as much lately since the kids have grown up. Very fond memories of that. I'm excited to do that with my little ones when they yeah. get a little I mean, older. Yeah. Yeah, you'll love it. It's just it's just terrific. A lot to explore. Beautiful and. Of course, the amazing thing with sailing in the bay, too, is, you know, this is a hustle bustle place. I mean, tech hub, uh, high paced, you know, terabytes of data being shuttled, you know, across the universe at gigabyte speeds. And that boom, you know, you get off the Bay Bridge or the Golden Gate Bridge and go down to the waterfront, step on a sailboat and poof, you know, you're in a in another world and you're only, you know, minutes or miles from your home. And I think. Um, that's one of the other things that a lot of people have not been able to take advantage of or don't realize, you know, how terrific that is right in the Bay Area. And, and you know, you can drive hours to stand in traffic to go to the beaches or go to the mountains to escape the Bay Area. But if you drive to the edge of the Bay, the best escape is right there and closest to home. <laughs> what haven't we touched on that you'd, you'd uh, like to talk about, John? Is there anything? Well, two things I'd say. <laughs> one is just access to sailing. I do think that's one of the great challenges for us as a community. Mm -hmm. you know, it is a, it's a wealthy place with a lot of development. There's a housing shortage. There's a lot of pressure on the uh, region to create more housing, which is needed. But one of the things that's threatening is, is making space to allow space for Bay Area businesses and the Bay Area sailing culture and heritage to survive. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one thing that the sailing community needs to really uh, step up to protect because, of course, it's going to be hard to sail if there's no boatyards and service businesses and all the rest that supports it. And, and also, it just makes it more expensive to participate. And I think when I sailed and grew up sailing as a kid, it was really in the 70s and 80s a lot of sailing was a blue collar activity and it's become a much more expensive activity and I think we really need to preserve space for people to participate at the you know less expensive end community sailing programs there's a ton of them around the bay but they're like a lot of community programs they need funding they need access and affordable places to launch boats ramps so I, I see that as a big issue for sailing to preserve the, the, again, the heritage and culture. Sausalito uh, has 
fantastic wooden boat building shops, uh, San Francisco Maritime Museum, Call of the Sea, the Matthew Turner. These are all just pieces of culture that I think we want to have in our lives. And I, I worry that, you know, we could become like a ski area. People say like living in the Bay Area, not sailing is like living in Vail and not skiing. Yet, you know, if you live in Vail, you have to have ski lifts to ski mostly. And if you live in the Bay Area, you need to have hoist ramps, lifts, marinas, and facilities to actually access it. So I think access is really important. Yeah. One other thing I think I'd say just about sailing, which I think is really important to remember, is just how it connects you to nature and sustainability and respect for Mother Nature as we face a pandemic and climate change, the challenges we face as a planet. If people viewed the planet like a sailor views a sailboat as a vessel on which we all share our, our space with limited resources, navigating a vast expanse together, I think it's a perspective that's really valuable to live by. And so I think the values that are taught by sailing, and again, I think of my passage, you know, going from North Carolina to St. Thomas with a 35-foot boat with two 12-volt batteries, and I don't know, 50 gallons of water and 30 gallons of fuel, you know, that's what we had, and, and some food, and, and we had to make it. And I think sailing and living on a boat and cruising and the, you know, the tiny home uh, aspects, solar power, wind power, of course, which is what drives sailing, are all really great things to connect to. And when you finally shut engines off and are just, as you know, moving across the water with just the power of the wind, you tune into life differently. And I think you tune into the planet differently. And so I think the, the values and perspective that are taught um, by sailing are something that the whole planet can use. Um, because I do think with the pandemic and the whole economic shutdown, that right now the earth is kind of experiencing what it's like to be a sailor because all of a sudden we've shut off all our engines, uh, the skies are clear, the air is fresher, uh, you can hear the birds more, you know, the noise levels down. While it's obviously a, a pretty frightening time for the economy and for people's jobs and lives, you know, if you step back and take a deep breath, you all of a sudden get this feeling like, wow, there's the animals coming forth, you can hear them. And I think that's something you experience while you're sailing. And I think it's something that the planet is getting uh, reacquainted with in this downtime. You know, I hope sailing could kind of be a, a poster child for that connection, which is really valuable. And, and it's going to be obviously incredibly important for sustaining, I think, the planet for your children, my children, and future generations. So I think that's, to me, a a core value that sailors appreciate and, and want to um, share and connect with when they, when they participate. What a wonderful thought to end on that uh, sailing could bring us all a bit more sustainability. We, we hope, you know, it is, it is great to see uh, the people who are younger going off sailing and, and rediscovering in that way. I mean, it really, you know, we turn away from our screens for a bit and get more tangible. It is fun to go down to Sausalito and see all the young people learning to build wooden boats 
working with their hands. Not everybody wants to spend life on a keyboard. Um, there's a lot more, and I, uh, I love seeing that engagement and new generations that are really stepping into it and appreciating it. And You know, I love hearing that you, you've got a boat now and two young kids, and they're going to experience the Bay Area in a very different way than people who never can step off the shoreline and, and uh, you know, explore what we've got right at our doorstep. Well, thank you, John. This has really been a fabulous uh, opportunity to chat with you. And I look forward to the next issue of Latitude 38 and all the great work you do. So thanks again. Well, thank you, Ben. Good to talk to you. I look forward to seeing you out on the bay. Hopefully we'll be crossing tacks together soon. That's it for this episode. Again, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I'll be hosting a Zoom get-together for Out the Gate listeners and possibly some past guests at 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Thursday, August 6th. If you're interested in joining, shoot me an email at outthegatesailing at gmail.com. I'll send you a link to the meeting. Thanks for listening. I'm Ben Shaw, host and producer of the show. Until next time, smooth sailing.